It's episode 35. COVID has changed our entire work dynamic. Now, more than ever, you and your teams need help managing it all. Reduce employee turnover, do more offboarding, create brand ambassadors, not bashers. Stress and burnout are costly, financially and personally. Carrie helps stop the chaos in your life. She's live from Arizona on this episode. She quiets, quietens the mind and finds a healthy balance. This gets you more engaged, productive, and have your energy back. You can learn how to take back your control, manage stress so it does not manage you, and optimize your health. Please enjoy the episode, and thanks for being a fab listener. Support me by subscribing and telling your friends. Welcome to the Johnny Ross Audio Experience. I'm Johnny Ross, founder and digital marketing strategist of Fleet Marketing. Each podcast, I'll be bringing you an expert to inspire you, to give you some great business growth takeaways, and to get you thinking about marketing and the bigger picture of how businesses can improve, adapt, and grow. I look forward to sharing this with you on each podcast. So here we go. Hello and welcome to a, another live Q&A today. I uh, hope you're well. Thanks for tuning in. We're live on LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, and uh, you may be listening to us on a podcast as well, which is great if you're a listener. Thanks for being here. So we're going to talk about um, stress in the workplace and retaining uh, employees, uh, how to have um, better forward-thinking organizations that that um, that that really understand their employees and, and and find ways to retain and reduce stress and 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 reduce that burnout. Um, to discuss all of this, we've got uh, uh, Carrie Brzaski with us. You're in Arizona right now. How are you, Carrie? I am great. Thanks for having me. It's brilliant to have you here. Um, and uh, and and I was just looking at your LinkedIn. You you what your You've got a couple of different hats. You've got a profit and a not-for-profit. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, the not-for-profit was uh, very much started during COVID. That links into your uh, background. You were a nurse, uh, very steeped in healthcare. Uh, you set up uh, Helping uh, Healthcare Heroes. You're the founder of that. And that was all around uh, trying to reduce burnout in in, in uh, healthcare uh, 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 pe people um but what was interesting was was your uh title for the the profit side is burnt out recovery specialist and employee retention strategist so this this burnt out recovery specialist i mean are you really able to recover burnt out people i actually can you give me a day and i can get you out of burnout and people think oh, that wow. like it took me forever um but you know, once you hone in the tools and you really get in there, you can get out of burnout very quickly. It feels like it's going to take forever. And so I actually have a very fast, rapid process that we can get you out of it. And then you, and I always say, but then you have to do the work. Then it's about a 20 minute a day that keeps you balanced and out of burnout moving forward. 
Um, just talk me through. Let's just cover the 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 not for profit because you know we we are still in a pandemic. Um, you know, I really want to help support uh the organisation that you've set up. Just give me a bit of the background on on how that came about and and your passion really there on you're wanting to you call them healthcare heroes was the word I was looking for. Um, mm-hmm. and uh, developing tools so that they, that they don't burn out. How's that? That that's just starting to get some real traction going. Is that right? Correct. We're really kind of in that ramp up phase. Um, We started back April, May of last year. I had a colleague who was trying to make um, a donation. She's like, I want to do something for these health professionals who are burning out their um, stressed. And you talk about this, tell me an organization that we can donate to so that I can make a difference. We looked and there were none, which is very typical because health professionals are all about Um, helping everybody else. And when you looked at the charities that were out there, the nonprofits, it was about the patients that they take care of. There was nobody focused on the well-being of health professionals and first responders. And she's like, well, what if we just start one? So that's what we did. We formed um, Helping Healthcare Heroes. And it's all around creating a community where we provide tools and resources to help professionals and first responders so that they can continue to build their personal and professional resilience. These are amazingly resilient people, or you wouldn't be in healthcare to begin with. But sometimes the tools that you have, the tools only work until the tools don't work anymore. And so you need additional tools. And so that's what we're all about is helping give them what they need so that they can continue. And the big thing, and it kind of does flow over into my for-profit work, is because when we don't have local health care, you can't have economic development. And when you don't have local health care, you've got this turnover in your hospitals, your health institutions, and your te- your communities can't be as vibrant as they should be, and people can't get care locally. So it's kind of this multifaceted, well, yes, it's giving the health professionals the tools, but really it's so that they stay in the profession. It's so that they stay local, so that those of us who live in the middle of nowhere, like I do, can get healthcare locally. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, uh, how far are you managing to reach with with this so far? Is it is it is it quite local? Is it are you just focusing on the state you're in, or are you going wider? No, it's actually global. We actually have people from the UK in our community. We've got oh, wow. you know all around the world um, of people who, if you're a health professional, it doesn't matter if you're in. Well, I don't know this, but I would assume taking care of a person in Burma, UK or the US, it's still taking care of people and it takes its toll on our mental and physical well-being unless we have something to build ourselves back up. And so it's kind of that you can't serve from an empty cup. It's filling their cup back up. Yeah, well, what we'll do is we'll share the links uh, afterwards on the uh, threads and in the show notes as well. So if, if if you are a healthcare hero listening right now or watching right now and you would like to to get involved in that, then uh, then that would be good. And in fact, actually, for those listening, I should tell you that, uh, that this was recorded. It was recorded on the 23rd of March. So that is today, 23rd of March. If you're watching, you're live with us right now. But the reason I say that is because it, in the UK, it's a real significant day because this is exactly one year ago that lockdown was announced by our our government, uh, and so you know it's quite an emotional day, and it's uh it, you know it's 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 a, it's a as I said it's a significant day, uh, and so it's probably quite nice just to have marked that. Uh, and if you're listening, this was a few weeks ago, uh, but uh, <laughs> um, but well, think uh, about that. 
we all thought that would be very short. Here in the U.S., it was 10 days, 15 days to flatten the curve and a year later. And so the the mental anguish and the, I call it the trauma and drama of what's gone on has been really hard on people and it's really hard on health professionals. Yeah, no, I, I, I fully agree with you. Let's go to um, the uh, your main business. Uh, so um, I think the majority of times you're working directly with organizations uh, and you'll typically be working with senior leaders, uh, giving them uh, the tools that they need, reducing stress, having uh, uh, helping them retain stuff. You were talking to me just before we started. You were talking to me about a stat that that uh, I'm not sure if it's one of the organizations you've worked with or, or currently working with. Twenty five percent turnover rate of staff. Uh, I mean, that's just yeah. huge. And, and this that's is with two thousand. St- and and it's also I've with two thousand seen- staff. It's it's not five staff, ten staff. This is two thousand staff losing four hundred a, a year. Um, and this is this is common, is it? Well, in IT, um, kind of the tech industry, their run rate right now has been anywhere from twenty to twenty eight percent turnover. And even in healthcare, when I was um, an executive at the hospital, it was an uncommon. And I forget because I haven't read the latest stats, but it was anywhere from seventeen to about twenty two, depending on you know, the sector as well as, you know, the specific position, but even 10% turnover, if you think about it, if you're an organization that's 200 people, 10% is a significant amount of people when the average cost, and this is just like taking the low end is about seven to $10,000 for a low wage person is what it costs an organization up to three times the wage. So if you think about an executive who's making 150,000, um, three times that to replace them. And that's in, you know, recruitment, reten- or um, uh, the costs of not getting the work done, the stalemate of your organization. I mean, the costs just go on and on. And if you're in a, you think about the person, the staff person who I've had lots of turnover. Like I talked to a colleague um, not long ago who was like, I'm looking at leaving my organization because everybody keeps turning over and I'm tired of not being able to progress because we're constantly onboarding. And so if you don't, I always say, if you don't start taking care of your retention issue, you're going to really start losing your top performers. Well, throughout this, we're going to talk about uh, organizations and how they can retain staff, but also how they can ensure that senior leaders aren't burning out. But one of the other topics that we'll also get onto is is from a personal care point of view and how we individually uh, can help ourselves. I think you've got some really great tips on that. It's you know you've got many hats, I think, and one of the hats is uh, is helping individuals as well. Uh, so we'll uh, we'll see if we've got t- time to to get onto some of that as well. So just talk to me about uh, the sectors that you know the um, your main sectors, of course, is is where you've come from, which is healthcare. You're also doing a lot in in tech as well. What and and you've and you've also started doing work with SMEs looking to typically grow and have they got the right teams to to really uh, deliver that? What what are the common issues? So the turnover is high. 
Um, what are typically the the reasons? And 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 I think you're insinuating that the focus is too much on on the onboarding, um, but not figuring out why people are leaving and 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 fixing the what you call sieve. Yeah. So, you know, it you've got this funnel, if you think about it, you've got these people coming in, but if you've got the sieve and they're going out, you have to have a good offboarding. Um, I actually was on a round table last week and I think it was one of the executives from Intel and they were looking at, they were saying, we lost women in 2020. And I don't know if you saw the study that came out. Um, and this was just a U in the US, but there were like 150,000 jobs lost in December in the US that were all women. And there was $16,000 or $16,000, 16,000 people growth in December in the job market that were all men. So it's like, what is happening that we're losing women? And so Intel, I think it was, they were talking about how they were going to go and do a deep dive of those women who had left in 2020 to find out really what it is. And I think sometimes we're so afraid or we, we make an excuse, you know, well, um, they wanted more money. I will tell you, people hate change. Just innately, we hate change. People are not going to just go look for another job if you are providing them with what they need. And I can wholeheartedly, in five for-profit hospitals that I worked at, I never, never worked where I got to pay the most. Typically, my organization paid less than everybody else, but I still was able to retain and even get wait lists for staff because it's the culture. You have to build the culture. People want to come and work for good organizations. And I used to even say, if you're only coming here for a paycheck, I'm not the place for you. Because yes, I want to pay you fairly, but there's more to a job. I used to always say, you know, I chose the man that I want to spend the rest of my life with. I've gotten 23 beautiful years with him and a 14-year-old son out of it. But I, when I work, spend more hours in the day with people I didn't choose to be around. <laughs> so it needs to be good and there needs to be something more than just the dollars. Because people don't stay because of the dollars. They stay because they have worthwhile work. They feel like they make a difference. And even when they leave, we talked about this offboarding. You know, you need to have an offboarding process because the last six to two weeks or however long that a person is in your organization can really frame whether they leave, as I say, excuse me, as a brand ambassador or whether they're going to be a brand basher. You know, if you've yeah. got a lot going out, you want them to still speak highly of your brand, of your organization. And maybe they were a tenure employee and whatever. Maybe they just needed to go do something different or they couldn't grow with you. You still want them to be happy with the 10 years that they spent with you. And if you treat them like, well, you gave your good notice, no, no they're not going to talk highly of you. Or this is the other thing. So I see you used to work with ABC company. How are they? No comment. I would almost have you rather someone tell me exactly what was wrong than to say no comment. Because when I say no comment, I can only imagine how bad it was. Yeah. 
I I fully agree, and and this whole thing of I, I've heard you say Brandon Buster and Brand Basher before, and you know, uh, certainly from a even from my point of view, marketing point of view, you know, more people I can't remember the stats, but people will tell you when they're not happy. They don't, they tend not to tell you when they're happy. They tend they they always tell you when they're not happy, and so in fact, actually, what you're doing there is you know filling the funnel of negative stories and negative. Uh, comments around your business and destroying trust and destroying uh, all that that brand that you're trying to build. Uh, so not only have you got a huge cost in replacing staff, training staff, loss of productivity, loss of sales, <laughs> you're also you're also firing the <laughs> this company's crap. <laughs> yeah. it's it's uh, it's it's amazing how well. I guess do, you know. Do, do some of the senior leaders uh, get that, or or are you having to really help them connect the dots a bit? I, I think you have to connect the dots because people don't think about it. Because we don't. When somebody leaves an organization, your first thought is, "Oh my gosh, what am I going to do to replace it?" Yeah. Instead of, "How do I make this a smooth transition?" You go into what I call fight or flight, which most of us live in all the time. And so you go into this, you know, oh my gosh, I got to fight. I got to protect what I have. I got to make sure that this is, and yes, you have to do all of that. But at the same time, you can learn a lot as to why the person is leaving. You can do it in a very um, supportive way. To me, if somebody is like, if they're leaving because it's a better opportunity, I grew you. I made you, and I didn't, it's probably a bad word, but I have helped you gain these skills to where you are now more valuable than you were when you came to me. And so I should celebrate that. And it's hard for people because they just see, I, I, we invested all of this in you and now you're gone. The other is maybe if you watch why people are leaving you can create it within your own organization. If they're leaving because there's not job growth opportunity, what can you do to grow your people? You know, I think it's um, Charles Branson. He says, give everybody what they need so that they are absolutely ready to go somewhere else, but they don't want to. So you want to make your people extremely valuable to somebody else, but keep them. Keep the environment to where they want to work with you because it's not about the paycheck. It's about everything else. I have a leader who supports me. I feel like I am supported. I have some balance. They value my family. I mean, whatever that is that you want to stand for as an organization, build that into your teams so that you can have some sustainable culture and long-term viability. Because if you've constantly got the sieve going and you're losing people, you really don't have long-term viability. And maybe you're viable, but it's going to cost you. There's going to be a point at which the offloading of staff is going to outpace your growth potential as well as your profits. You know, you get a lot of profits that are lost because of turnover. So a lot of what you're saying there is around ensuring that you've got the right culture what what are the, what would be the uh, practical tips on how to look at culture and how to 
to redress culture and and how to put a better culture in place? So <laughs> I had lots of experience with this because as I was telling somebody not long ago, I, I worked at four, five non or four profit hospitals. Nobody hires a new executive because the culture is great. If the culture was great, people wouldn't be leaving. So I had this opportunity to be able to really build and improve culture. And the, the, so there's two things in my opinion. One is making sure that you have the right leaders. And even if you don't have the right skill set of the leaders, you've got the right mindset and the mentality that they want to help their people. And the second would be investing in those leaders so that they can have crucial conversations around performance and behavior expectations. So what I mean by that is like I do a, a workshop, it's a quarterly thing that we do where we talk about having high, medium and low conversations within um, your, your staff to where you bucket it. So many times people want to put their staff into a bell-shaped curve to where, you know, here's the bottom, here's the top or here's the, you know, middle and then here's the the can't see my fingers, but <laughs> you have that bell-shaped curve. So, you know, they want people at that low end, especially when it comes to compensation and stuff. But really, do you want an organization where you've got a portion of the people at the bottom of the of the bucket? No, you want people at the at the midpoint so that they're at least a solid, steady eddy employee. Now, I believe. Everybody comes to work, whether it's physically into a building or now virtually, everybody comes to work with a desire to do a good job. Not everybody knows what a good job looks like. And so as a leader, it's your responsibility to point out when they're doing it well and praise it. But when they're not, take it privately to be able to show them how to do it. So many times we as leaders tell people, Okay, you can tell me all you want to, that I need to be more productive, but unless you give me an example of how I can be more productive and you show me how to be more productive, I'm going to continue doing what I do because I don't know any difference. And so it's creating this environment where it's open to learning and you get the feedback. And even the, the low performers that you have, you are giving them specifics of how they can improve their performance to become the middle steady eddies. Like we don't all need rock stars. Rock stars can be very they can be draining to manage. You know, you, you have an entire department of rock stars. It's exhausting. And so then you've got to, you know, you're doing some other things to make sure that you're creating some boundaries and filling your own cup up. But really it's progressing people because people don't want to do a crappy job. They really want to do a good job. And so you as a leader and even an executive, you need to show them how to do the job. How do you uh, how do you get leaders how do you get leaders to change? Because I'm guessing that some of them are quite difficult to 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 get out of their habits. Um, you have to be able to put the mirror up, and I think sometimes it's some very private conversations because yeah. if you if you do everything as a group, the more tenured I am in my position the less willing I am to change. It's not because I don't want to change. It's because when I change, 
it's now new. I don't know how to do this. And so I become almost, I feel very incompetent because I was an expert doing it this way. But when we make the change, you go from this high level of expertise to incompetence. And it may be very short that I'm in that window, but I have to create the behavior to make the pivot, to, and it's very uncomfortable. The other is that if you're a very ego-driven organization, it's gonna be really hard because you're not open to the feedback, you're not open to the willingness to change. And so as you work with organizations, um, the higher and the more experienced the more handholding they actually need because it's new and it's different. And so I think when you have some of those very private conversations, like when I when I work with an organization and, and we're doing this, I will have private conversations with just the CEO. You know, do you feel comfortable with this process? Let's role play this. Let's make sure that you are competent because I don't want to put that CEO or those top executives into a group training and they're clueless and they don't know how yeah. to do it. And they're learning right along with their people. Unless you have a very trusting culture and you have some, I call them kind of soft egos, like people who are okay with that. It's really, really hard to create the change. And so that's why when we do leadership development, there has to be a portion where it's group, but there's a portion where it's one-on-one -on -one or there's someone that the person can go to to get the feedback or the training or to be able to go, Johnny, I don't know how to do this. I, I mean, I know cognitively how to do this, but I don't know how to facilitate it. So will you help me? You know, and sometimes it's you might buddy people up to where they get somebody who, you know, can give them that feedback. But if you just give them the information and say, go forth and do, you're pretty bound for failure. I mean, there's a portion of people who will do it, but the people who probably really need to do the pivot and change aren't going to do it. Yeah, that's the difficulty, isn't it? That's, yeah. And, and so many times, so many times there's genius within the organization. Like somebody who is a fairly new leader or they're new to the organization, it may be easier for them to kind of make that pivot because they aren't entrenched in the way that it's been done. And you can look at, you know, their key performance indicators or whatever, you know, whatever the behavior is that you're trying to instill. And you could say, oh my gosh, you know what? Johnny has no turnover in the last two years. Johnny, what do you do with your staff that's different? Because Mary over here is running 35% turnover. It's the same organization, but what are you doing different? And then us being willing to seek it out. Like I was that person who I would call you and go, you know what? You're, you're knocking the pants off and you're beating me. You know, I'm smoking in your dust here. What are you doing different? And so it's being willing to learn and gather new so that you can be even better. I was um, uh, watching one of your videos the other day and um, you were talking about if you're worried about losing staff, um, then there's one real question that you could ask them. And you've got to be brave to ask them this question. Mm -hmm. But it was, it was uh, what would it take for the competition to lure you away? Mm -hmm. And I, I absolutely love that question. Um, I think it's so clever. And, and really simple, but yeah. you've got to be brave. You've got to be brave, haven't you, to ask that question? 
Yeah. Well, you have to have a level of trust. So if you don't have trust built, they might tell you, they might tell you, oh, nothing. I love it here. But then you have, you know, you build a little bit more trust in it. Maybe the second time that you ask it, they're like, well, you know what? I would love on Tuesdays to actually be able to leave on time because I want to pick up my kids and it really makes a difference. And they may be looking for a job that like is half time just because one day doesn't fit their life. And so it's, you can really get a lot of information of how can you make it better? The other is that we, we, we go about our life in our little bubble. Everything seems fine, but sometimes we need somebody to break the bubble so that we can make more bubbles. And you can make the organization even better if you listen to your staff, if you listen to the team that's there. Because really, do you want do you want to retrain? Do you want to go through all of this again? If I could make a few little tweaks, and I will tell you, out of all of the years that I've asked that question, very, very seldom. I'm trying to think if I can even think of one where they told me it was money. And well, you know what? I can one time. It was money. And the the money was actually about 35% more than what they were making with me. At that point, I, I don't know an organization that can accommodate that um, unless you're doing some major pay structure. So there, you know, it's like, well, actually I was, I have been thinking about leaving because I have this organization who, you know, is going to pay me 35% more for what I, for the same thing I'm doing here. And at that point I say, oh my gosh, I'm so excited for you. How can I support you in this? <laughs> Very different than let me go see if I can do this knowing that I can, or, oh, we could never do that. And you just say, you know what, I would hate to lose you. But if that, you know, 30% for some most people is kind of life changing, that mm. changes the current situation that you're living in. And so how do you hold somebody back from that? You get excited about it. And, and you then again, it's look at what you've been able to accomplish in our organization that made you um, uh missing the words, but you know that somebody is going to lure you away. Yeah, 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 yeah. But most of the time, it's little stuff. It's like, I would love to learn X, Y, Z. Oh, well, we can make that happen. You know, I, you know, I see that you pick certain people to lead these trainings. I would love to do one. Absolutely. Usually it's related to what they want to do to grow. But, you know, it's, it's, it's a huge opportunity for you to find out what can make your um, environment better. I, I, yeah, I really love the question. And I, I think it's, uh, as I said, it's brave to ask it, but I can see how it could open so many thoughts and ideas. Um, and, and, it, and, and I think like you've said, it, it probably builds a much better rapport, better uh, trust, uh, and and really demonstrates that you know you want to make a difference as well, uh, and and I think that's uh, that's really important. Uh, the the point you're making here is you know so okay so someone asks for thirty five percent more and you can't do that. It it's about embracing the the change mm-hmm. and 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 knowing that people do move on and and uh, and 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 this is just really normal and not just 
being so self-centered in, oh my God, how am I going to find someone to replace them? Well, and then the other thing that it does is maybe you can't do it right then. And I honestly say, I don't think I could meet that. And, and you just have the honest conversation, but then with your executives and, you know, and the rest of your team, you're like, okay, do you guys realize that they are, you know, this is what the market is now doing and it gives you an opportunity to make some pivots. Do you need to make some changes? Do we need to change a benefit structure? Because you hear it before, like there's this mass exodus. So if we talk about, um, in, in workforces, how, what are some of the, uh, tips on how, uh, senior leaders can reduce stress across the workplace and, and, uh, and and different employee teams? So I, um, you know, I shared with you my number one, uh, tip earlier that I think everybody, it doesn't matter if you're line worker, management executive, and that is making sleep a priority. Because our bodies need sleep. It is how we rejuvenate. It, we, it actually, when we sleep, it actually, we rejuvenate at the cellular level. And so the more that you can make sleep a priority, most people will say, oh, you know, I'll sleep when I'm, you know, when I'm dead, or I don't have time for that. And sleep becomes this, what's done, whatever's left over, then I'll sleep. But what we're finding from a lot of the research and um, the information that's coming out is that sleep is more important than diet and exercise. And I will tell you, it's a whole lot easier to manage my sleep than it is my diet and my exercise routine. And I feel great. Just like when you get a good workout, you feel great. And so it's making sleep a priority, ideally seven to nine hours a night. When you sleep less than six, there are studies that your um, rate of all-cause mortality, meaning it doesn't matter what you're going to die from, people who sleep less than six hours a night routinely die at a faster and a higher rate than people who get the seven to nine. So people say I'm being very melodramatic and it's like, well, there's the statistics to back it up. Sleep (laughs) is important and if you don't do it, there's a good chance you can die sooner. (laughs) it's certainly very clear isn't it Uh, but and how do how do senior leaders um reduce stress across the workplace so so of course uh one of the ways is advising on on less sleep etc but but what what are the other things that they could introduce that uh that reduce stress so one of the things is open communication as well as clearly defined expectations. One of the biggest things that cause individual stress is unknown expectations, constant change, or not knowing what, maybe it's not even knowing, it's creating an unrealistic expectation. So when I talk about like burnout in an organization, I say it usually has three pillars. You have the individual, so the things that I can do in my own person. I can make sleep a priority. I can make sure that I hydrate. You don't even think about you know water intake actually reducing your stress, but it can. Um, making sure that I have boundaries around certain things in my life. Making time for stillness, meditation. I mean, there's studies that actually show that meditation um, 
when we're really stressed, our amygdala shrinks. And with meditation, it kind of goes back to a normal state because again, you're getting out of that fight and flight and over into rest and relaxation. So you can do meditation. It also grows gray matter in our brain. So our brains get bigger and stronger and it doesn't matter. It can be, happen in as little as 10 to 15 minutes a day. So there's things on the individual level. Then you have the culture. So leaders, the more that you can deal with the culture and building a culture of, we kind of call it people first, creating that sustainable culture. So there's things that you can do in the culture. And then there's the environment. And so what is the environment in that which people are on? Most of us were all in a building and then COVID, we all kind of came to our own personal homes. And so it's, what is the expectation of work now? If you were in a group where I needed to talk to Johnny and Mary and Sally to be able to get this work done, now that we're all electronic, digital, it, it, it doesn't get done as fast as it did before. Because I used to be able to walk down to Johnny's office and we'd say, hey, let's go get Mary. And you could do these kind of impromptu. Now you have to pick up the phone, create a Zoom meeting. Oh, they're not available. So now I have to send a calendar request. Well, that works for Johnny and I, but it doesn't work for Mary. So, so things that were spontaneous in the office that were able to really get a lot of creative work done is going to take longer now that you are virtual. And so it's, what is the expectation? Like I talked to an HR director not long ago. They went, um, everybody went home but the expectation of what the employees do hasn't changed. And so are you creating an unrealistic expectation? The yeah, other that's a good point. The other that people do. So there's research that we're actually working 49 minutes longer now that we're home than we were when we were in the office. So we're putting in eight hours and 49 minutes instead of an eight hour day. Are you UK? Are you guys on typically an eight hour day? Yeah, well, it depends, doesn't it, on the person? <laughs> yeah, but, you know, kind of in there. Yeah, and yeah. so, but you're working about 49 minutes longer. When we were in the office, you went up to the bathroom, you talked to people throughout the day, people came into your office, you went to the water cooler, you didn't get eight hours of total work done. So, why do you think you're going to do that when you're home? So, you know, it, it's that realistic expectation again as to what. How much work can you get done? And the other is manage the outcome instead of managing the time clock. Because our current system really rewards inefficiency. If mm -hmm. I am not super efficient, I can stretch my workout to an eight-hour day. If I'm efficient, I might get it done in five. But now I have to either look busy or find three more hours of stuff to do because I was efficient. It's really kind of a backwards idea of, you know, we're, we're still running in the model of um, uh, factory working. And, and that's, that's not what we want of people. We want, we're hiring them the most for their brain, for what they can get done. And so we want to make sure that we're supporting that and not managing it unrealistically. Yeah. I love what you're talking about with regard to breaks and and uh, and the, that 49 minute thing because I think what's happening is that a lot of people are, are ending up working their commute, so the time you know the time that they'd be in the car or on the bus or the train or whatever uh, they're suddenly working and um, 
And I think that that uh, likewise lunch breaks, people aren't having them, you know, not going out for walks, getting some exercise. And I think all of those things make a difference. I wanted to move on to um you so from a personal point of view you've given your mm. number one tip which was a stress reducing tip resilience tip which is you know get some proper good sleep i heard the uh, a couple of other tips you've got which i really like uh, and um and um, the one first one i wanted to go to was the saying no talk to me about that yeah we're so afraid to say no <laughs> And for you to be able to have balance and really know what's in your on your plate and what you can accomplish is you have to say no. And we have to stop feeling guilty. Like I, I always talk about, you know, I worked in this one organization. I had this CFO. We would go into a meeting and I would come out with a list of things to do and he would never come. And I'm like, after a while, I'm like, why? And I'm like, it's because he kept his mouth shut. So he didn't say no, he just didn't say yes. And he didn't get things added to his plate. And so you have to know what you what your boundaries are. What are you capable of? And is it better to say yes to five things that you get done and you can accomplish versus saying yes to 10 and five you fail at? Think about that. You know, if you really want to be a high performance individual, you need to know your boundaries and saying no allows you to accomplish what's on your plate. Now, granted, I don't even say we have plates anymore. Everybody's kind of carrying around a platter. There's so much on there. But if it's not pertinent, it's okay to say no. The other is that so many times we think it's expected to say yes. I use this example of I was starting to get really busy in my business and I I prided myself that I was always the mom who no matter what I was there for, you know, with the cupcakes at school for every school event. And I actually had, ooh, sorry. I Don't thought worry. I turned that off. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry in the um, slightest. I I actually had um an event and they were like, "Hey, can you make cupcakes?" And I was like, no, I can't, you know, and, and I actually, and, and it wasn't even, they didn't even ask me like, could I make cupcakes? It was just, here's a, here's a, a sheet, sign up for what you can do. And I felt so guilty that I wasn't making the cupcakes. I wasn't going early because I had some client work. I actually had to do that day. And then I thought, well, this is crazy here. I'm feeling guilty. And I didn't even really verbally say no. I just didn't sign up for something. And so most of the time, it's it's this guilt that we put on ourselves. And so it's okay to say no. And sometimes you have to say no so that you can say yes to the things that matter. And there are times where you have to say no so that you can create space in your life so that you can just be. You know, if you've got a lot going on, it's like I... I could say yes, but I know that I won't get this accomplished. So I'm going to have to pass. And, and the other thing is so many times we think that we have to give an excuse. Usually it's like, hey, would you like potatoes? No, thank you. And they get passed around the table, you know, unless you're at your grandma's who is like, why aren't you eating? Are you okay? 
a simple no is okay. And and so practice saying no. I, I say it's the very first word that we learn as kids. No, no, no. You know, and, and then it's the hardest thing for us to say, but it's the one word we've known the longest. Your your family's the same as mine then. Saying no to potatoes gets you into trouble. <laughs> yeah. What's like, wrong oh, with you? <laughs> Are you ill? <laughs> yeah. Um, My Irish grandma, she's not with us anymore, but she was an Irish grandma. So yeah, <laughs> the potatoes were big. <laughs> um, the, uh, 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 the track's gone. Oh, saying no, <laughs> saying no uh, one of the most important things I learned in my business was being able to say no. I remember for many years, I would say yes to any project, any client. And the power of being able to say no is just so powerful. Uh, it's uh, So so I, I can really relate to that. And I can see how just from a personal point of view, not putting your hand up all the time, not saying not saying yes all the time, and saying no can make a big difference. Uh, the, can, I, um, can I add one more thing to that? So many times, if you're the go-to person in your organization, like, I know you'll get it done. I know that, you know, you can do this faster than anybody else. And so they may come to you. You saying no sometimes opens an opportunity for someone else to be spotlighted. And so sometimes it's like, you know what? I I'm sorry, I, I don't have the bandwidth to take that on. But if you ask Johnny, I know he can do this. And now Johnny gets to shine in something that the organization only thought Carrie could do. And yeah. so when you say no, it allows somebody else to say yes and get spotlighted. Yeah. And that, and that shouldn't be seen as a, as a bad thing. You shouldn't worry that, uh, you know, or they, they don't need me as much because Johnny can do it over there. That's not something to worry about either though, is it Carrie? I think no. I know some people think, oh my gosh, nobody else can do my job. And they think that if they're the only ones, then they have job security. And I'm here to tell you, if you're the only one that knows your job, you're the quickest one that we can get rid of because it, nobody knows how to do your job. What happens if you get yeah. sick? What happens if yeah. you get hit by a bus? What happens yeah. if you decide to leave? You are not an asset to the organization yeah. when you are the only one who can do it. And yeah, so right. being able to delegate and spotlight other people helps your organization grow. To me, it helps you be an even better leader and it makes work more fun because who wants to be responsible for everything? Yeah, I, f I f fully agree with you. Uh, we are coming very shortly to the end here, but just to get to that third tip quite quickly, if you can give me a, a short uh, short version of your normal uh, answer on this one. So the, the third one that I jumped out for me was um, re-examine expectations. So just give me a quick summary on that one. So you can do this personally as well as professionally. And we I kind of touched on that earlier of, you know, if the expectation in my mind is one way, but I don't clarify and I don't verbalize, I may have it absolutely unrealistic. Like I say, you know, I talk about being married for 23 years, 23 years, the man is still not clairvoyant. He cannot read my mind as much as I would love it. He can anticipate my needs, but he cannot read my mind. And so there are times where I need to verbalize what my expectation is, or I need to seek clarification when something's coming to me. Like for me, if something doesn't have a deadline, it's not that important. 
I have colleagues who are like, if it doesn't have a deadline, that means that has to get done first. Totally different way in which we look at something. So if you give me something that you want it done by Friday, but you just tell me, hey, when you get a chance, do this. I can guarantee you it's not getting done by Friday. But if you tell me it's got to be done by Friday, then it's there. And so I think sometimes creating and understanding the expectations and the other is the expectations on yourself. Stop being so hard on yourself. When you look at and you examine your performance, would you judge it as harshly if it were somebody else? Chances you would be much nicer to somebody else. So start being nice to yourself because that internal dialogue and that unclear expectation that we create on ourselves creates huge amounts of stress. And so it's one of the ways that you can really decrease stress, understand what the guidelines are, and then be able to ask for help. Because if it's too much and I know what the expectation is and I can't meet it, then I have time to gather others ask for help, ask for guidance, and then be able to accomplish it. I like it. Carrie, this has been brilliant. Uh, if I am a senior leader listening or watching right now uh, in an organization thinking, you know, I'm worried about losing staff or, you know, actually our turnover rate is high, what, what what's the best way to contact you? Where do you hang out online? Well, always um, a great place is LinkedIn, Carrie Brzozowski. I know I kind of have a funny spelling name, but there's only one of me out there. <laughs> um, you can connect on LinkedIn or redwoodexecutivecoaching.com and you can send us a message, um, book a consult call, and we'd be happy to chat. And even, even if like somebody chatted with me and I'm not the right person, I have no problem telling you that is a great problem I can't solve for you. And so <laughs> hand you off to somebody else. I I'm guessing you've got the ability to say no. So that's yes, good. I do. <laughs> <laughs> and and Carrie, if I'm a healthcare hero, where should I head to? So if you're a healthcare hero, it's helping healthcare heroes, H-E-R-O-E-S dot O-R-G. So helping healthcareheroes.org. Um, you can all of the places that you can connect with us, even if you want to, if you're not a health professional, but this is a near and dear cause and you want to support us. Um, you can make a donation or you can connect with us there. Um, we're always looking for sponsors to help us move the mission forward. Brilliant. And I'll put these links in the show notes and in the uh, uh, chat as well. So Carrie, thanks so much for joining me. Uh, I know it's only the start of your day right there uh, <laughs> at the time that we're on. Uh, so uh, enjoy your day, but it's been a, an absolute pleasure. Uh, and uh, I hope you've enjoyed the conversation as well. I have. Uh, and, Thank you. I, I, you know, I really do uh, value your time. And and, uh, and if you've been listening or watching, thank you so much. Please do subscribe. Hit that notification button to make sure you don't miss out on future episodes. And why not tell a friend if you've enjoyed it? Uh, but thanks for watching or listening, and we will see you all again soon. Take care. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Johnny Ross Audio Experience. Thanks so much for joining me. If you want to continue the conversation, head over to my website, fleet.marketing, or find me on LinkedIn. That's all for today. Please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, tag me in your social media posts, and please leave me a review on iTunes. It will make a huge difference for me. I will see you soon. Bye.